It's good to see each one of you here tonight as I look out over the attendance here tonight. Uh, I was just thinking that the best seat is in the house. The best seat in the house, those that come late have the opportunity for those. I was thinking tonight, I said, you know, it's rained and I'm just fearful that will really hurt those in attendance uh, tonight at our gospel meeting and I was just driving over and I noticed all the ball fields out there, it was raining and they were all out there still playing. And I remember one time an individual told me that, he said the way to have attendance, you know, you up at the University of Tennessee in their football games, they'll have over 100,000 there. And they said, you know, you don't have a roof on the, the place. And they said, you have to pay uh, $100 or so to get in. And then you've just got about 14 inches of a place to sit. And not only that, there's no pads. And so maybe that's what we need to do today in our churches. But it's so good to see all of you here tonight. And I would not even come close to mentioning how many wonderful friends that I have here tonight. And I second what Jeremiah said just a few moments ago. It's wonderful that so many of our congregations in the brotherhood uh, love each other and, and are willing to come together in harmony and, and uh, sing these beautiful songs. You know, heaven will be wonderful someday. I was just thinking about all the, the wonderful singing there and what a joy it is in our hearts to be able to sing those beautiful songs. And you know, that's what heaven's going to be like someday. Tonight I have chosen as the topic, and I've told some of you ahead of time, where are the dead immediately after they die? I suppose that's a subject that so many have have contemplated because in reality in Hebrews 9 and verse 27 the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die and after this the judgment and so it is a reality that you and I will die the physical death someday it's just a key of when it is to occur in our lives and so there's so many questions that we ask from time to time. It is necessary for us to die. Because in that great resurrection chapter, Paul reveals to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. He said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so we can't go to heaven without dying the physical death. That we are made up of two components. Number one, this physical body, this tabernacle, it's in. That is only a temporary measure so that we can live here upon this earth. And we're also made up of that spirit, that inside person, we might say. That's made in the image of God. And so constantly there are questions. I, as gospel preachers, and I know that we have more than one gospel preacher here tonight. There's things that we must do in our work 
uh, we we do weddings and we we meet at people's bedside in hospitals and so forth and we visit the sick and we try to counsel individuals but we almost always end up doing funerals I remember one time when I was preaching here in Cookville at Will Avenue and there were a number of funerals that occurred that week not just at Will Avenue but in eight day period of time I did ten funerals and so it is a reality that we are going to die. And we really get serious about it when it comes home to us. You know, almost two years ago, two years ago, October the 1st, I did my dad's funeral. I have done two of my brother's funerals, younger brother's. I've done a nephew and a niece. It's a reality. In Psalms 90 and verse 10, the Bible reveals to us that, that we'll live three score and ten, which is 70, and if by strength, four score, which is 80. And anything beyond that is a bonus. And so it seems to me, since there's an uncertainty of when we are to leave this world, that you and I must be prepared for that occasion because in reality, someday we'll experience. That's an appointment that each one of us will make. I realize that many times we have appointments in, in real life and at times we will miss those appointments. But one appointment that all of us will make is death. There's questions that when I meet with families, before funerals and after funerals, there are questions that they ask so many times. What happens immediately after death? What happens? Where does that person go? Sometimes they will ask a question, and I've heard preachers preach on it, obviously, many, many times at, at funerals and so forth. They say those people that lived a righteous life, those people that live faithful unto death, uh, do they go directly to heaven? That's a question that people ask so many times. At other times, they will ask questions, well, you know, this person made no preparation whatsoever. Did not obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now he's dying. Does he go directly to hell? <coughs> Those are questions that people ask. They also ask me many times, are they aware of what I'm doing now? They wonder if individuals know about their funeral. Are they conscious now? Those are questions that we ask from time to time and people ask us. In the Bible, God has revealed to us many things 
And sometimes we wonder about the things that God has not revealed to us. And many times I will tell individuals if we will spend as much of our time in trying to know what God has revealed to us instead of trying to figure out what God has not revealed to us. I know from reading God's word that heaven will probably be much better than I can visualize. But I also think that hell will be much worse than we can even contemplate. So what happens after death? The Bible has revealed a number of individuals that, that have died and have been raised from the dead. If you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, there was an individual that came to Jesus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a very, inter, very important man by the name of Jairus. We know that story. We all have children that we love so much. And on this occasion, Jairus came to Jesus, an important person, a ruler of the synagogue. His 12-year-old daughter had died. And he came to Jesus for answers. And we know the story that, that Jesus raised her from the dead. She hadn't been dead very long, the best I can tell as we read that story. As we go over to the Gospel of Luke in the seventh chapter, we find in the little city of Nain, there was a widow there. And she had only one son. And that son had died. And Jesus was observing that and undoubtedly had been called to that occasion. And they were actually having his funeral. This man was in his casket on the way to the cemetery. And Jesus raised him from the dead. There's another very important one that was raised from the dead that's so important. And we have an elaborate revelation to us in John the 11th chapter. In the little city of Bethany, there were two sisters, Mary and Martha, and a brother, Lazarus. And the Bible reveals to us that Jesus loved that family, the little city of Bethany. And the Bible reveals to us that he would go there at times to be refreshed. And we find that Lazarus died. And the Bible says that he had been dead for four days. And when they called Jesus and he came and they said, Jesus began to ask about Lazarus. And they said, he's been dead four days. He stinketh by now. But Jesus raised him from the dead after four days. You know, I thought a lot about that. We know in that next chapter, in John the 12th chapter, 
had a big supper there. And Lazarus was there, and Jesus was there, and others. But you see, after everything kind of died down of the excitement of him being resurrected from the dead after four days, can you imagine when they get back to that home? Can you imagine when the crowds left and they were there in the privacy of that home? Can you imagine some of the questions that they probably asked him? They probably asked him, Lazarus, what was it like? What were those four days like? That you were dead. Lazarus, did you know that, that Jesus, well, at your funeral, Lazarus, were you aware of that funeral we had with, with all those people there? Were you, were you conscious of that? Lazarus, where were you? Those were questions that, that I'm sure that they asked. Let me tell you about another occasion. In the 27th chapter of Matthew, we find that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, you remember that story? And when he died on Calvary's cross, we find that the rocks broke open and there's a little earthquake there. And, and you know what the Bible says? That the graves were opened when he died. And after he was resurrected, which was after three days, those individuals came out of those graves, it said. And they went into the city. Can you imagine the questions that they probably asked those individuals? I don't know how long those people had been dead. You know, I've read stories about physicians, things that they have said about individuals that they say, well, now here's an individual that, that has died and we brought him back to life. And let me tell you what I know about that. We read stories of sociologists, things that they have said, and psychologists and recordings that they have. And you say, well, maybe we should have had some of those people here tonight and told us about some of those occasions. But I know that you can find books on that because I've read some of them, but, but really sometimes I wonder about the integrity of some of those reports. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to spend some time in what the Bible really reveals to us. What does the Bible tell us? Because it's the authority. In the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas, a theologian and a psychologist, he introduced a doctrine called purgatory. You ever heard of purgatory? In the 13th century. In about the year of 1545 to 1563 at the Council of Trent, the Roman Catholic Church adopted that as a doctrine of the church. And that doctrine
wasn't taught that individuals that died in sin, that they had another chance to get it right and, and they would pray for those individuals and, and move them from a lost situation to being saved. But I'm here to tell you that's not in the Bible. That's not there. Because when we read in the Bible, there's, there's no other chance after we die, the physical death, the point of man wants to die. After that, the judgment. When we take that last breath, our destiny is sealed. I mentioned a few moments ago that some people, in fact, I've heard funerals where they say, well, you know, I know that your, your, your mother love so much that we that we that she's just passed away and we know that she's in heaven right now and we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that she's singing those wonderful songs and glorifying God but I don't believe that's so I believe the Bible talks about a temporary place that we will go when we die. You remember the story in the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter? In verse 19 through 31, the Bible tells us that in verse 22, that when we die, that there was two individuals that died there. The rich man and, and Lazarus died. Two individuals that represented two on the opposite end of the spectrum. And the Bible says there that in verse 22 and Luke 16, that those angels transported the soul of Lazarus to Abraham's bosom or paradise. But it talks about the other individual that had not lived a righteous life, and the Bible says he was in torment. I do not believe we go directly to heaven and to hell the moment we die. I believe our souls are transported. I do not believe in the doctrine of purgatory as I mentioned a few moments ago. But I do believe in the biblical doctrine of Hades. Hades is defined as a place of unseen spirits. All receiving, in other words. Hades. Remember, the Bible tells us that in Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 that, that the body goes back to the dust of the earth and the spirit goes back to God. There's a separation. That's all death is. It's a separation. It is necessary. Let me tell you an occasion in the Bible. You remember in John, the 20th chapter there in verse 17? After the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that third day he was resurrected. And Mary came to Jesus in verse 17 in John 20. He said, don't touch me. I haven't been to the Father yet. We find that Jesus had spent three days in paradise, the resting place of those that are righteous. 
If you remember there, uh, recorded in Luke, the 23rd chapter, and verse 43. As Jesus was hanging there on the cross, and there were two criminals, one on each side. One of those individuals was repentant. In verse 43, Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Abraham's bosom. A resting place for that soul of the righteous individuals. But on the other hand, those that lived an unrighteous life will go to the place of Tartarus. So there's two places in Hades that we go. One is to paradise or Abraham's bosom. The other is Tartarus, or a place of punishment. Did you know that there is a general resurrection? That's one of the reasons that I do not believe we go directly to heaven or hell. Because in Matthew, the 12th chapter, in Matthew, the 12th chapter there in verses 41 and verse 42, we find there... He speaks in verse 41 of the Ninevites. Those Ninevites lived 500 years approximately before Jesus was here on earth in the flesh. And it says that they will rise up for the judgment. We find in, in Matthew 12 and verse 42, the queen of the south who lived about a thousand years before Jesus lived in the flesh, that they would rise up to the judgment. In the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, there are verses uh, 31 through 46. It talks about that general resurrection. And it reveals to us in verse 31, 32, that all nations of people will be joined together on that day, all nations of people, as we just talked about the Ninevites back there. Did you know that when Peter was preaching that powerful, powerful gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, in Acts the second chapter, did you know that verse 34, he says that David has not gone to heaven yet? He lived about a thousand years before this occasion, this day of Pentecost. His soul was in Hades, paradise Hades. One time I asked a lawyer, and I, my son-in-law is a lawyer, and I was asking about all this. I said, in, in practicality, so people can understand. If when we die that our destiny is sealed, and by the way, it really is, because in Luke 16 and verse 26, the Bible reveals that there's a great gulf fixed between the Hades, Paradise, and Tartarus. And it said that there is not a going back and forth between the two. So the day of judgment, this lawyer explained it to me and it made sense. 
He says, when someone goes to court, if they're convicted of the crime that they supposedly committed, that they are deemed as being guilty, and then a few weeks later or a month or two later, there is a final sentencing. And I said, that makes sense, doesn't it? The logic. That when we die, our destiny is sealed. There's a great gulf between, and we can't go back and forth between the two. It's, it's over as far as where we're going to spend eternity. And there will be a general resurrection someday of all the people that have ever lived. And you know, sometimes I, I find Christians and they will say, are they, do you think that they are aware of what we are doing on earth right now? I don't believe so because Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 4 and 5, it reveals to us that we are conscious after death because we're conscious of torment or pain or, or the bliss of heaven. We're conscious of that. But I believe according to that scripture there that that they are not conscious of what's going on on earth. But I know one thing, that if they were conscious of what's happening on the earth, did you know that they'd be sending messages back to us? You remember in Luke, the 16th chapter, that rich man, when he made pleas, and he gave up on himself, it seems, you know, he, was, he still had a consciousness of his five brothers back on earth. And he said, please send someone and, and tell them not to come to this, this terrible place, in other words, of torment. And you know what you were told? If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to one back from the dead. You see, it's a reality. It's a reality that we are going to die. We just must be ready. You know, I, as I get older, you know, I was just talking to my mother today. I try to call her every day for just a minute or two. And I said, Mom, you know, I, I really don't feel old, and every time I go to the doctor, he says, you're just, you're just, everything is wonderful. But I said, Mom, I can tell I'm getting older. Paul told those in the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day, and I, I've thought a lot about that. That as I get closer to the time of leaving this world, I don't dread it as bad. You ever thought about that? Can you say that? You know, Paul lived such a life, and, and when he was in Rome in prison, he wrote an awesome letter to the church at Philippi. In that first chapter of Philippians in verse 21, Paul said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
many times people will ask me questions about this, and I'll say, well, the best I can tell, here's what the Bible teaches. What about my loved one? I'm not sure that they had the opportunity to pray. You know, the Bible says in Acts 8, it talks about Simon the sorcerer that was a child of God. And he sinned after he became a child of God. And verse 22, he was told that he must repent and pray and he would be pardoned. I understand that, don't you? But sometimes I will hear people say, I, you know, my sister-in-law, my wife's twin sister's husband died just recently. And she, she told me, she said, oh, I didn't know he was going to die today. There have been some things that I want to have said to him. I hear others say, well, you know, I'm just not sure that he had a chance to repent and pray. But you see, one of the privileges of being a child of God is that the blood of Jesus continues to flow through the body or the church. And I tell people from my medical background, I realize that, that even when we are asleep, that, that the blood runs through our bodies and it removes impurities and, and toxicities when we are even asleep. And you see, all of us that are New Testament Christians, the Lord adds us to that body, the church, the ecclesia. And if we remain in there and we fall down and we get up and we go again, and, and you know what? In 1 John 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Christ cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. And so for you that have lost loved ones, Sometimes it's selfish on our part of wanting those people to still be here in the condition that they are in. Because if they have lived a righteous life, oh, still sin because there's none righteous. No, not one. But oh, I love what Paul said in Romans, the eighth chapter. And verse 1, he says, Therefore there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. You see, Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, it says that our body, when we die, it goes back to the dust or the ashes. That's necessary. But the important thing is the soul. That inward that soul that's within us. That's what we'll live on. And Mark the ninth chapter, it says that, that where the worm never dies or the soul never dies. I hope tonight I've answered some of the questions that you may have asked. And I'd put on the internet that I was going to speak on this tonight and had some people in Kansas City where I preached in a, in a little meeting up there and different places. They said, oh, I've got to have a tape of that. 
You know, I just believe that we need to be like Paul and realize that when we die, it's victory. It's victory for us. And you know, I guess most of us just think that, that we're going to live forever. You know, one of the saddest occasions, and I missed, mentioned it in a gospel meeting one time when I was preaching in Cookville. And someone told me later, said that was some of my kinfolk. Where a young lady and her baby goes across this crossroad and somebody comes the other way. And I did that funeral with her laying there in that casket with that little baby up in her arm. Killed both of them. You see, I really believe that it's not the number of years that we live here upon this earth that's most important. It's how we live the time that we have here on this earth. You know, Amos tells us in Amos 4 and 12, he said, he said, prepare to meet thy God. You know, my loved ones that have gone on, that were good people, that were Christian people, I'm able to accept that because I know that they have it better than me now of the things that I suffer in this life and, and the same with you. But I was just talking to mother today, a brother, that I try, I'm talking about my fleshly brother, that I can't visualize why he doesn't get his life right with God and he's not in good a shape as I am. He's my younger brother. And he will not get it right. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2. It says, the end will come like a thief in the night. I'm telling you, those people that lived a righteous life and are in paradise, that place of comfort waiting for that eternal home of heaven, if they could speak to us today, they'd say, this is wonderful. That's what it's like in paradise and ultimately, eternally. As a gospel preacher, I don't know how I could make it. I mean, I've done tons and tons and tons of funerals. And many of them for my family, my loved ones. And I just realized that they're not there. Because the moment they die, that body begins a process of going back to the dust of the earth. And that soul is gone. That's the only way I can do those funerals. Knowing that when I preach a funeral is to remember the great memories that we had with that individual, the great times that we had with them, and to comfort that family and tell them, prepare to meet thy God. You know, there may be some of us here tonight that do not have it right with God. You know, I've got an individual back here, and I, I usually don't point out, but George Retinor is a personal friend of mine. You know what? 
The first time I ever met him, he's laying in the Copeland Hospital. The first time I ever met that man. And he had had heart surgery, and I believe, if I remember correctly, that he had had some kind of infection there in the heart. Isn't that right, George? Yes. And I told George, I said, George, I want to have prayer with you. Someone told me you were in here. And I mentioned him, I think, the other uh, yesterday. I said, I want to come by and visit you when you get out. And I had the great opportunity of baptizing George and his wife into Christ. And you know, I read in the bulletin that I get every week about some of the struggles that he is having. But you know, I don't worry about him like I would a few years ago because I know he's right with God. I may leave here before he does, and you might too. But at the point that we die the physical death, our soul is going to go to one of two places. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 is going to wait for that general resurrection and judgment. That we will go to that eternal place of abode forever and forever and forever. What about you tonight? We may have some individuals here tonight that, that are procrastinating. Waiting for a more convenient season. I believe that most people, most people that I'm associated with have an intention someday to get it right with God. Don't you think about it. Don't most of the people you know that, that someday I'm going to get it right with God. Just not ready for that now, but someday. Did you know there may not be a someday? There may not be. This may be. This may be the last sermon that you ever hear. This may be the last song to encourage you to get it right with God. Maybe the last. Did you know that God has a plan of salvation? Ephesians 1 4 talks about from the foundation of the world. God, God had a plan. And his plan was to save every single one of us if we have that desire to be saved. Number one, by believing. By believing in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, John 3 and verse 16. By being willing to do an about face that is called repentance. Change your life right now. And being willing to confess the glorious name of Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8 and verse 37. And if you truly believe that. Willing to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Did you know that you can have every single sin of yours washed away tonight? Some 2,000 years ago. The first gospel sermon was preached in Jerusalem. We talked about that yesterday. And they asked what they must do. What must we do? In other words, what must we do to be saved? That question is relevant tonight. And I'm going to give you the same answer that Peter and those apostles gave on that great occasion. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
And those that gladly received his word, same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and, and prayers and praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Did you know that can be yours tonight? I pray that if you are not right with God tonight, that you will make it right as we stand and sing this wonderful song of encouragement.